from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. Hi, guys. You are in studio with me. I'm Sven Erlinson, host of the Badass Counseling Show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, for, I know I have folks checking in from as far away as Romania and New Zealand. Aotearoa, I have seen, is checking in for today's lightning round. I don't know where Aotearoa is. Rob, I'm going to ask you when you get a free minute to look that one up, but I know I have someone in the house from Aotearoa and Malawi, uh, everyone's in from South Carolina. A lot of folks in today from Georgia. It's great to have you here. I know I've got my uh, UK contingent, Ireland and Scotland and Wales and London area. And as always, the Canadians, Chicago. Uh, great to have everyone here. This is a lightning round episode. We'll uh, start taking your questions very briefly, but I've got uh, KC is over in the booth working her heart out as usual on our behalf. And to my left is Rob the Rocket. What's the good word today, Rob? <laughs> Sven, as usual, you got the flow going on and uh, the show is a river running soul deep. So get it on. <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's just dive right in, guys. I'm taking your questions and I am starting uh, with Melissa's question. How do you let go of resentment? All right, we've all had that. Um, and the truth is, if you haven't felt resentment, you have cut off some of your feelings. You likely got the message at some point in your life that it's not okay for you to have anger, okay? Because resentment is a natural human response. It is a natural feeling. When we tell kids or when we tell ourselves, oh, you shouldn't feel anger or you shouldn't feel hate, hate is bad, or you shouldn't feel resentment, it's bullshit. It's just a natural response. It's, an, it's a natural feeling. When uh, a, a child gets hurt, what do they do? They cry. When something hurts my feelings, what do I do? I get sad. It's, a, it's just a natural response. Feelings are like trains coming into town. You've heard me say this before. When a train comes into town, it comes into town, it stops. All the people get off. Uh, Tukumkari, that's the movie that where the train stops. It's a Clint Eastwood movie, I think. My name, I don't know which one. Train stops in Tukumkari and the guy gets off this horse. You remember that? All the memories come back eventually. Eventually. Well done. Just slowly. Anyway, uh, the train comes in, people get off, right? And, and that's the feeling coming into you, rising up in you. And then people get on the train and the train leaves town. That's what feelings are supposed to do. That is the natural flow of feelings, okay? But if you're taught that you can't express feelings, or I had someone tell me just this morning, say, you know, Sven, I was taught in my uh, home that kids are to be seen, not heard or I don't care about your feelings, things like that, then what that means is that train is not allowed to leave town. The feeling is not allowed to naturally go out. It's in fact stuffed down, it's denied. And so it gets packed inside. And eventually you got a whole town full of all these trains and it's a mess. Trains are supposed to leave town, not just enter town. Feelings naturally leave if they are allowed to be expressed. Now, that doesn't mean you ever have to say word one to the person you resent or two that you're angry at or sad about. You can, but you don't have to in order to heal. You just have to flush it out, which brings me back to Melissa's question. How do you let go of resentment? You let go of resentment by not trying to let go of resentment. I know that sounds stupid, um, but it's true. I, I could never figure out at the end of when my first wife divorced me, this was about 1996, 95, we separated in 96. And I was so hurt 
and uh, some anger, but I didn't really let myself feel a lot of the anger, but I was so wounded and so sad and, you know, my two kids and all that. And uh, people just kept saying to me, you know, after the first year and into the second year of grieving and so forth and trying to make it work, trying to make it work, friends would say to me, Sven, you just got to let it go. You just got to let it go, man. And I realized at the time that that is the fucking stupidest advice I've ever heard. Just saying, just let it go. Oh, okay. I'll just do that. Gosh, I hadn't thought of that. I'll just do that. You know, it's like, hey, Sven, just, uh, you know, go build that addition on your house. Oh, okay. I'll just go do that. It's like, well, you're not going to help me. There's no blueprint. How do you let go of someone if you're not taught how to let go of someone? And what I discovered, trial and error, trial and error, reading books, is that you have to go into it. The way you let go of resentment or let go of love or get past hurt get, is by going into it. It's by, not by trying to leave it behind. Oh, it doesn't exist. I'm going to ignore that and fuck it. Yeah, People do that all the time. And then all those feelings, it's like those trains. They're not allowed to leave town. So it gets stuffed inside. You've got a vault full of all your feelings. So you go into it. You start journaling. You've heard me say it a million times. You start journaling. You start writing letters that you don't send. Letters to the person who hurt you that you do not send. Well, why don't I send it? Because if you send it, you're going to edit it. If you send it, you're going to be worried about the response. And the goal is not the response. The goal is getting the feelings out of you. You get past resentment. You let go of resentment by going into the resentment and expressing and expressing and expressing until it is no longer there. Now, are there other tools besides journaling, besides letter writing? Yes, there are. And I talk about those in my book. There's a hole in my love cup. I teach you other methods. I give you other resources for going in and flushing that out. But whether, you, let's say you're letting go of love, you know, a lover who left you. I can't let go. And we're actually taping an episode later today of someone who is, her husband has told her that she wants a divorce and he still loves, she still loves him. She can't let go, et cetera, et cetera. And what she needs to do is she needs to begin to allow all those feelings up. Go to your favorite park where you guys used to love to walk. Go to your favorite restaurants. Wear the favorite shirt that he used to love when you wore. Um, eat your favorite bagel that, you know, she always loved. That's what I had to do. I, I would eat everything bagels with cream cheese because that was her favorite bagel. And you begin to do those things that you, uh, that you have the memories and the feelings attached to her or to him or to that person or to that traumatic event. Maybe it was a negative thing. And you begin to exorcise the demon. You begin to have the experience and going back and going into the trauma and talking about it and bit by bit, Bit by bit, it lessens in intensity. I was a trauma counselor for an airline. I was also a trauma chaplain uh, at a level in the emergency room of a level one trauma center, uh, plus being a pastor and a counseling practice for 30 years. And this is how I do it. Perhaps other people do it different ways, but bit by bit, we go into, go into bit by bit, sort of microdosing that trauma, that pain, and letting it out, letting it out, letting it out. Uh, that's, that's the way to heal. All right, next question. Next question, um, which actually answers your question, story time coach, um, about your son's father uh, dying. Same thing. You heal by going into the pain, and he's going to want to avoid it. But if he doesn't go into it and start flushing it out, it's going to store up, and it's going to bite him in the ass in every single fucking decision that he makes. He's going to think he stuffed it down. And when we're young, we think, oh, fuck that. I don't need feelings. Fuck that. I'm a tough guy. Fuck that. I'm a tough woman. No, he's going to bite you in the ass. Trust me. So many of my clients are in their 40s, 50s, 60s massively successful. I also deal with, work with the very, very poor and the homeless and so forth and middle-class folk, everyone's, but my counseling practice has been in Manhattan and I do a lot of corporate uh, 
consulting and coaching with high-level execs, CEOs, lots of them. And one of the things I see is they're in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, and they have all the success in the world, and they still have this gaping hole inside of them. They still have all of these problems that are raging that they've been trying to stuff down, willpower their way through. And you guys have heard me say it a million times, the soul is more powerful than the will. That's why I do soul counseling. I'm not a psychologist. I do soul counseling. Why? Because I go deeper. I go into the core belief system. The soul will always grind down the will. Whatever is down there, whatever core beliefs you've been taught about yourself, be it self-loathing or I'm not good enough or I don't matter or I'm not wanted, I'm not wantable, all of these messages, they will grind you down eventually. All of that pain, all of that trauma, it will grind you down. All of that unrequited love that you didn't flush out of you will grind you down and force you. See, depression is the soul's way of calling you down into the pain, into the trauma. It's the body's own natural healing mechanism. And to a lot of people, it's like, well, that's fucked. I fucking hate depression. I don't want depression. That's not good. That's bad. No, no. If you actually go into it, it is the healing mechanism. It is your body, your soul revealing your pain. And if you have the courage to look it in the face and to look your past pains in the face and write about them, don't just keep it all up here in your fucking head. That solves nothing. That solves nothing. But flushing it out, flushing out the memories and writing about all of the emotional charges attached to them, all this shit that I talk about in my book. If you do that, it begins to lessen. It begins to lighten. If you face the very dragons you've been running from by trying to deny your feelings, if you actually go into the depression and, and work on it and ask the depression what it's trying to teach you about yourself and about life more than just, oh, fuck it, I hate people or he's an asshole or she's a bitch. More than that, which is very surface level shit, but go down into the origins in your past, massive healing, massive transformation of character. All right. This is a question from over on YouTube. Hi, Sven. How can I help my seven-year-old son who is angry at me for leaving his abusive dad? He has some understanding of what happened, but is angry at me for it and for leaving. First thing, uh, in anytime there's uh, abuse, or excuse me, anytime there is divorce, if there's been abuse too, or if you see a divorce coming or a separation, your child, whatever age, and it's not optional for your kid. They don't get a choice. Even if they're 16 and they're snot-nosed and they think they know the whole solution to everything in the world, they don't get a choice on uh, going to therapy, Right? You've heard me say it before. If your child wipes out on their bike and they break their leg, they don't get a choice of whether they're going to the doctor. You're going to the fucking doctor. It's the same way. And emotional trauma in some ways, that that leg will reset. <laughs> you don't want to. You want to see the doctor. But it, uh, emotional trauma won't naturally reset. It'll find a new normal, but that normal is not healthy. And so in the case of your child, he needs to be seeing someone, first of all. Second of all, um, the abuse of debt, you need to keep, uh, allowing the child. He's not allowed to be angry um, or hurt you, do anything physical, act out, but he has every right to have his feelings and you need to welcome, welcome his feelings. He's not allowed to call names. He's not allowed to hit. That's not okay. No one is allowed to express their anger physically. Not allowed in any relationship, period, zip, zero, okay? With only the rarest exceptions, if you're being abused, etc. I mean, okay? So it's allowing him. He needs avenues for his strong feelings. Seven-year-old children, they have basically three ways of responding to feelings. If they haven't been taught how to give words to their feelings, I am mad, I am sad, 
I am sad because of this, and I'm frustrated right now. If they've not been taught words, and this is part of the maturation process, so telling a child to suppress their feelings, they never learn to identify, name, or just feel and be comfortable with feelings. So in the case of your son, in the case of your son, it's telling him, I, I hear that you're angry. I hear you're angry. It's okay to let it out. If you need to punch a pillow, if you need to go run around the block, and then let's talk about it. And when you're ready to talk, let's talk. And you have every right to be angry. It's affirming the feelings, right? Um, but he definitely, zero question, needs to have an adult that is not mom and not dad that he can talk to about his stuff. All right, next question. Okay, fine. Humans, what have you got for me? <laughs> How do you help someone who doesn't want to be helped, but you know they need it? Um. <laughs> Again, we've all encountered this, whether it's our own kid or, you know, and again, with children, it's not optional. You see a divorce coming, get them, get them started. I know you're not asking about a divorce or Juliana, but I need to put this in there. If you see a divorce or a separation coming, get them with a therapist first before it happens so that the familiarity is there and, and just easy. They know the person so that when the trauma hits, They've already got a resource. They've already got an out, an avenue for dealing with it. How do you deal with someone who doesn't want to be helped, but you know they need it? <laughs> I'll be really, really honest with you. You ask any therapist, and I get plenty of therapists, psychologists. I have psychiatrists that listen to my show. They write in. I counsel them. And you ask anybody on this show right now, if you're, if you're a therapist or a counselor or uh, some sort of thing, and if you feel like it, Post your answer to this question. How effective are you when a person, when a client, when a patient doesn't want to open up, doesn't think they have a problem? How effective can you be if you're counseling someone that really doesn't want to open up or doesn't want to go somewhere or doesn't believe they're a problem? Maybe it's a kid, maybe it's an adult who was brought there, you know, by a spouse or it was, you know, a child brought there by a parent. It's hard. Children can be opened up. You know, that's a bit easier, but adults, I, I, Really, it sucks to have to say this to you, Jelena, but how do you help someone who doesn't want to be helped, but you know they need it? Really, you can encourage, you can be loving, you can be kind, you can make suggestions, you can plant seeds, but at some point, they're going to resist you. I mean, obviously, they already are resisting you, but they will become resistant to even listening to you anymore. They will become resentful. And so they already don't want to go. If you push too hard, they will become entrenched right? Because you're creating a force and they're going to push back on that force with even more power than they might have before because you're pushing harder. So really all you can do is plant the seeds. If they don't want to go, they're not going to go. They're not going to open up. And so then that brings the question back around to you. Uh, it sounds like you want someone to get help. You want someone to change. You think they need it. And I would ask you if you were one of my clients, and I'm not saying it is the case with you, but if you were one of my clients, I would ask you the question, how much of you wanting them to get help is because you don't like who they are now? You want them to change. Well, it stands to reason that if you like everything about them now, you wouldn't think they need help. Well, no, I'm doing it for their sake. Maybe you are, and I don't doubt that. Maybe they're on a destructive path, but in the end, it's their life, assuming they're an adult. But I would still ask you the question, what percentage of the equation is you wanting them to change? And that's you being honest with yourself. And can you let go of wanting this person to change and still have a relationship with them? And if you can't, if you can't, then it sounds like you're not gonna be able to have a relationship with them because you see them as broken. And this is something, by the way, when you're working with children, if, if you're working with children and or your own child and you're saying you need to, you need to, or you should really, in other words, you're telling them you want them to change. 
If they haven't asked, you're telling them you they want you to change. Do you understand what is implicit in my saying to someone, adult or child, I want you to change or you should do this? Implicit is the message, I don't like who you are. That's the implicit message. Why would I want you to change if I liked who you are, right? And you have to understand, children are always filtering everything through the filter of am I good or am I bad? I mean, it really sounds simple, but the child's mind very often is every reaction that they're getting, every girl that says no when you ask him out when you're 13, or every time uh, daddy furrows his brow at me, or every time mom slams the counter uh, when daddy's doing the cooking and she's just mad, the child is filtering it through, is this, does this say I'm bad or does this say I'm good? Even a child with a healthy, um, you know, full love cup will still always ask that question, right? And this is one of the reasons, parenthetically, that when we are um, disciplining a child, and I don't mean spanking or like, rawr, I mean, when we are calling out uh, an unacceptable behavior, one of the things, one of the great gifts my mother gave to our family, um, and dad did it too, but it was really mom's impetus. She uh, had advanced degrees in uh, early childhood education, taught at the graduate level. Anytime she would discipline or uh, correct behavior, she would say, Sven, you're not a bad person. You just did a bad thing. Okay. Do you see the distinction there? You're divorcing the action from the identity. You're still calling out that the action is unacceptable and not okay, but you are you are protecting the identity of the child because a child's brain will naturally go from, I did a bad thing to I'm bad, right? And by the way, saying you're a bad boy, stop. <laughs> you're a bad girl, stop. Just stop because you are carving that child's identity into stone by saying you are bad. Stop. Change to you're not a dumb person, Sven. You just did a dumb thing. Of course, if your child is not named Sven, don't say that. They won't want to understand what you're saying. You're not a bad person. You just did a bad thing. All right, next question. Sven, I've been through your book. How do I speak up, stand up for myself when I'm still scared to do so? Well, you don't. It's not time yet. If you're still scared to do so, you have not gotten all of your fears out of you. You have to go into those fears. As I was talking about earlier, you have to go into those fears. There are fears that you either have not named yet that go way back to the beginning. You know how I operate. Go way back to the beginning. There are either fears operating inside of you that you have not flushed out yet. You've got, you've got pain. You've got fear inside of you that is causing you to be immobile. So the notion of speaking up for yourself uh, isn't, uh, isn't even wise because you're going to back down because you still have that fear in you. And not only fear of what uh, fears and, and messages that got planted into you, like your voice doesn't matter, but you also fear some end result. If you don't stand up for yourself, it's because you you have pain and fears and messages you were taught about your voice. I don't deserve to talk. Uh, my voice isn't important enough. I don't believe in me. Those messages get implanted very early, but also you fear some eventuality. Now, very often, let's say with family, let's say you're an adult and you have siblings and they've always treated you like shit and you're afraid to stand up to them. Why? Because they already pick you apart and you know they'll ostracize you or they'll, you know they'll come down on you ton, like a ton of bricks. And I'm afraid to do that, Sven, because if they ostracize me, you know, they're around me. I, they, I live in the same town as them. And they would come over to my house and they'd hector me or, or maybe they'd cut me out of the family or whatever. Exactly. And you fear that. And that's what's immobilizing you. You have some fear in taking this action. And this is why when I talk about the book, that really the cycle, the, the cycle of the spirit that we all cycle through is 
You got to first hear your own inner voice. You got then B, you got to have the courage to heed that inner voice. And that's the really scary part for a lot of people because it means, uh, you know, I, I know what people will say if I put my truth out there. There's no fucking way. I know exactly what my brother will say or I know exactly what my boss or my father will say. And there's no way I'm going to endure that. So I'll just keep my truth inside. Thank you very much. And then the third step is sort of a master level step. But that's where you have the vision. You've put yourself out there. You hear your own inner voice, which is actually scary for a lot of people. That's step one. Step two, you have the courage to heed it, to put it out there. And three, you have a vision of what you want your life to be or what you want your relationships or your career. You're going after the vision, but the master level step is to hold on loosely, to quote 38 special. It's to hold on loosely. And that means to simultaneously go after the vision and let go of the vision all at the same time. And the reason this is a master level step because it's fucking hard to do. It's fucking hard to simultaneously let go of something you want. Well, why would I do that? Why? Because otherwise we cling too tightly. We cling too tightly and we choke it and we don't give life room to operate. And part of my work with people is the more you hold on loosely to the thing you want the most, the universe, God, higher power, soul, whatever you want to call it, mathematics has power to work and things happen that you could not have made happen were you holding on tightly. Plus, as you've heard me say it before, sometimes we go in this direction, we go into this room, we go through this door and we're in there a while only to discover down the road, there's another door over at the other side of the room, which leads down a set of stairs to an ante room where we're spending the next four or five years or 20 years or three months. And then we discover, holy shit, there's a dumbwaiter over here. I'm going to get in the dumbwaiter. The dumbwaiter leads you up to the roof. And over on the roof, there's a shack there with a great view. And you realize this is where I want to spend the next 15 years. In other words, doors, open doors, open doors, open doors. The reason we don't hold on tightly to one vision is because what if a new vision grows out of the original one? And this was my mom's thing. She died at 93. She'd be 95 last month if she were still alive. But one of the things she always said is, Sven, doors, open doors, open doors. But we have to have the courage to walk through that first door before we'll ever know that that second door, that second vision, that new dream, that new aspiration, that holy shit, I didn't even think of this, reveals itself. But if you don't have the courage to walk through the first door, you'll never see the second door. All right. Much more to come right after this short break. Hi, this is KC. There's an update from the Badass Counseling Desk. The audiobook version of the book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup, is now available exclusively only at badasscounseling.com. My wife pushed me to watch this guy's TikTok videos, so I finally caved in and holy crap, blew me away. I started watching more, and every time he opens his mouth, I get blown away in a whole new way. So I finally bought his book, there's a hole in my love cup. To say I got an ass kicking is an understatement. Much needed. It was like having my own personal tough therapist who just gets it. So go do yourself a favor. Get there's a hole in my love cup. It's powerful stuff. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. And we are back with a lightning round of the Badass Counseling Show. We've got some good questions here on that we've had on letting go and other things. Let's keep going. All right. Oh, somebody asked, what's the book? The book is There's a Hole in My Love Cup, and it is 80, 85% of my counseling method all in one book. And the reason I recommend it is because all... Most of the questions that you're asking today, 
I, I cover in the book and I hold your hand through the process of healing your soul, of taking you into the hard shit. It will kick your ass. This book will kick your ass. It's not only read it, but if you do the exercises, if you treat the book like a workout, it'll kick your fucking ass. Zero, zero question. All right, but it takes courage and it, it's gonna force you to face those demons, those dragons that you've been running from your whole life. I have clients who have seen the worst in life, abuse of the worst flavors, trauma, war, had friends killed, everything. And almost, almost every single time, they will say to me, Sven, what we're doing right now here in the safety of your office, or Sven, I'm here in my living room. We're on a Zoom call, which is you know most of my counseling now. Even though I'm in the safety of my house, I've never been more terrified in my life, Sven. And I've been to war, or I grew up in X, Y, or Z home. There, it's it's so terrifying because they're going into. I'm holding their hand into to walk into the cave that they've been running from their entire life. And as you guys have heard me say a million times, that great Joseph Campbell quote: "The cave you most fear to enter holds the treasure you seek." The cave you most fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. All that shit you've been running from, all those you know trains that I talked about earlier that came into town, all those feelings, and you stuffed them down, or you were taught that your feelings don't matter. All of that is packed inside. You've spent your life running and your soul is calling you down, down to go into it and begin the work of healing. All right, question. What's the best way to set up boundaries and getting over a passive personality? You don't get over it. You don't get over it. Um, and I know you were just sort of speaking in shorthand, but um, what you do is you go in and you find the origins. Everything is origins. This is X-Men origins, guys, except it's soul origins, it's self origins, it's trauma origins, it's uh, behavioral characteristics origins, it's the stupid shit I keep finding myself doing origins. It's the stuff I'm terrified to do or say origins. And that's what you're saying, aren't you? Sven, basically, you know, you're asking, what's the best way to set up boundaries and getting over a passive personality? You don't get over it, you go into it. That passive personality is being driven. It was in fact created. Child doesn't come out of the womb passive. And if you've had children or uh, been around small children and babies, they're not passive. No, a child is naturally gregarious. As long as they feel safe, they are naturally gregarious. They are naturally embracing the world. They naturally see the world as good. So to become passive, you were chased into your shell. You were taught things about you. And it may have even been by, been by good people doing things accidentally. Even good parents make profound mistakes at times. Um, and so you're asking, how do I get over that? You get over it by going into it. And that is to determine what were the messages you were taught about yourself? What were you taught about your feelings? Were you allowed to cry? Were you allowed to be angry? Probably not. If you have trouble setting up boundaries and, and telling people not to treat you that way or that you're passive, and you, in other words, the other people are active and you are a secondary player, you got messages that uh, about your feelings, that your feelings weren't welcome. You got messages, maybe it was a domineering parent or an alcoholic parent. Maybe there was walking on eggshells in your home. Well, what's the underlying message that the child is receiving? My feelings don't matter. I, I am living in fear. The world is scary. Um, or if you have a dominating parent, I'm gonna do what they say because... They have all the power, right? So the, the program got started, got uh, coded, and then they started running. And the code that's been running inside of you is to defer because that's what you were taught. But also maybe you were taught that your voice doesn't matter. See, when a child isn't allowed to express certain feelings, particularly anger, if a child isn't allowed anger, what you're doing is you're cutting off that child's sense of self. And you're like, how is that? Because inside of anger, you've heard me say it before, children shout, 
Um, shout loudest when feeling heard least. People, countries, groups of people shout loudest when they're feeling heard least. Okay, Children shout loudest when they're feeling heard least. In other words, I don't feel heard. I don't feel seen. Um, and so they say, no, the shouting is a no. No, you can't do this to me. No, I don't like how this feels. No, this isn't fair. No, I don't want to do that. No. Is the child's spirit rising up? They've found some, as you guys, you've heard me say before, uh, the path to discovering who you are requires discovering who you're not. It's all of the no's. Discovering the things that don't feel good. Well, a child is naturally doing that. So if they are robbed of their no, and that doesn't mean they get everything they want. I'm not saying that. But if they are robbed of their no, they can still say no and say, I don't want that. But sometimes the needs of the team override the individual. Okay? Sometimes. And that's part of playing on a team. Part of living in society. Part of having a fucking relationship. If you ever want to be in love someday or have a friend, you're not going to get your way over that. But the child's no is important. Why? Because it's an expression of who I am. Part of who you are is who you're not. And the child is uh, identifying that and naming that naturally at a young age. But here's the thing. Inside of the word no is the word I. I don't like that. I don't want to do that. That doesn't feel good to me. Okay? So by a child stating their no, they're finding their I. So much of the work that I do with adults is helping adults who've been choked down, had their feelings uh, denied, had traumatic experiences, had to walk on eggshells, dominated or still controlled by an adult parent. The underlying message is you don't get an eye, kiddo. Go fuck yourself. No eye for you. You can have pie, but no eye. So that cutting off a child's no, cutting off a child's feelings is conveying to them you don't get an eye. So then they come to later in life and they're passive because they don't even know who the fuck they are. But not only that, they don't have permission to be who they are. <laughs> so part of what I have to do is help them deprogram that and help them find their I, but also help them find their, their permission to be I because they were taught you don't get to be I, right? Right. And so in the case of this question, what's the best way to set up boundaries and getting over a passive personality? It's going back into and finding where you got the messages. What were the messages in your home? Well, I'll give you something to cry about, mister. Or just be quiet. Just, you know, daddy might get upset. Just let's all just tiptoe around. All right. Boom. Your feelings just went away. They just got wiped off the face of the earth because of that fear of somebody going off. So you're going to become passive. And passive is also an indicator very often of a people pleaser. I was a hardcore people pleaser. I grew up in a good home. But the messages I got were somewhere inside of me, I got the messages and I've shared this at different times and some it's in the book, so I won't go into it now. But the point is, you get the message, I start to started to believe that unless I'm doing everything and showering you with love, you might leave me. If I'm, if I'm not showering you with love and, oh, I'll take care of that for you. Oh, I'll get it. Uh, no, let me do that for you. Oh, you can hear it. Sure. You don't have to apologize to me. It's okay. I'm okay. Right? All of those things that I fear that if I don't give you more love, you won't love me. You might leave me. And that rejection hurts. Hurts. And so all of that passivity in my case, all of that people pleasing, that extreme giving, all of that is being driven by a fear, isn't it? That's why you guys always hear me say, if you're ever trying to figure out why someone's doing something that doesn't make sense, I always ask the question, what's the primary fear driving the behavior? Speculate what the answers are and then go with the biggest, hairiest, scariest one because it's fucking fear. So in this case, uh, best way to get over a passive personality is to go and find those or origin messages and what those origin message, what the underlying message was that they were conveying. And as I talk about in the book, it's usually I'm, 
uh, not wanted, I'm not good enough, or I'm no good. And the most powerful one, I don't matter, which is more a statement, less a statement of value, and it's a statement of existence, identity. You don't even exist, you don't matter, which is why kids will act out if they're not getting positive attention. They'll settle for negative attention. They'll settle for getting yelled at and scolded and spanked. Why? Because at least they're getting attention and it beats the alternative. And the alternative is no attention because no attention at all, even when you're bad, means I don't even see you. You don't exist. Nobody wants that message. That's as bad as it gets. All right. All right. All right. All right. What have you got for me, fine people? Here we go. And on this notion of fear, boom, right back into it. Right back into it. Sabella. I try to leave my alcoholic husband. He makes me feel guilty slash sorry for him, and I'm fearful of the future. All right, so you have two fears operating there, right? Fear of hurting him. You, you try to leave. It's like, you know you want to get the fuck out, obviously. Otherwise, you wouldn't keep trying to leave. So you know you want to get out, but they keep pulling me back in. I try to get out. That's Godfather? Godfather three. Three. All right, so you're trying to get out. They keep pulling you back in, right? Um, because he makes you feel gu uh, guilty or sorry for him. So that's fear number one. Fear number two is fear of the future. If you were my client, I'd, I'd ask you, which is bigger for you or better yet? Give me a percentage. What percentage do you fear the, is the reason you go back is fear of uh, oh, hurting his precious feelings and oh, you poor dick. This is why I want to fucking leave you, you pathetic fuck. Get out of my fucking life. That's what you may be thinking somewhere in your brain. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Um, but you feel bad for him. So what percentage is it that you feel bad for him and what percentage is it that you're afraid of the future? Is it 60-40? Is it 20-80? See, now the this helps us. And you guys, in your own work with yourself, in your own uh, journaling, in your work with your own therapist, Add percentages in so many of my exercises in the book. I force you to put it into percentages, everything. Why? And I tell people, just speculate. You can change your mind. Fuck, you can change your mind tomorrow. Just speculate, all right? You change your mind in five fucking minutes. But off the top of your head, in this case, what percentage of you going back to your alcoholic husband, even though you know you wanna leave, what percent is it because you feel sorry uh, for him, you feel guilty, and what percent is it I'm fearful of the future? So you put the percent. 60, 40, 20, 80, whatever, 37, 63, you know, what is it? And the reason we give percentages, why? Because that forces us to isolate what the real issue is. And I'll get people saying, well, I don't really know, Spanner, that's not really important. I'm like, fuck you, I don't care if you think it's important. I'm the fucking counselor here. You paid me to accomplish a job and that is get results in your life. So you'll do what the fuck I say. That would be like me saying to my, you know, plumber, <laughs> uh, you know, Chris, uh, you really should put that pipe on differently. <laughs> and, you know, Chris, master plumber, would look at me and say, hey, Sven, why don't you take that little fucking pet theory, go upstairs and fist yourself with it. You fuck, get out of here. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> no. Don't, don't, don't hold back. Just say how you feel, Sven. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what it is. Just tell me, which do you fear more? Because now we've isolated the variable. Now we've isolated the real problem. Now we know where to hone in. Sure, that, and I'm betting that his guilt is, and I'm betting, this may not be the case, so I don't wanna put words in your mouth, but in this case where you have two fears that cause you to go back to your alcoholic husband even though you know what you wanna leave, you have the fear of uh, guilt and sorry for him and you have the fear of the future. I would bet, I, and this is only based on 30 years of doing this shit. I could be totally fucking wrong. Throw it in the trash can if it doesn't resonate. I won't be offended. I would bet that his making you feel guilty gives you permission. It's not an obstacle, it's a door. 
It gives you permission to go back to the safety of him and not have to face your greater fear of being on your own, of doing it, figuring out life, starting over, whatever it might be. There is something out there, or maybe it's just not having someone. And when I don't have someone pouring love into my loved cup, and that even if it's just little traces of love, it's confirmation of my worth. The mere fact that you are here that is confirmation of my worth. And you are a living, breathing counter message. Even if you're an alcoholic, narcissistic fuck, whatever, whatever you are, your mere being here is a counter message to all the messages I've been getting in the rest of my life. I'm no good. I'm unwanted. I'm unwantable. The mere fact that you're here. So if you walk away from me, or if I walk away from you, now all of those messages that were embedded, pressed into the wet cement of my soul, they all come <laughs> charging around in your head, tumbling, tumbling, tumbling. And you're forced to face all the bullshit, bullshit messages you were taught about yourself as a child that were never true to begin with. And that's what you're scared of. That's the shit. Now, you may be also scared of, you know, finding a job or you may be scared of just, you know, how do I start dating over? Or maybe you're scared of, is anyone ever going to love me again? And I see this a lot with clients in their 40s, 50s, 60s. Shit, how am I ever going to find love, man? I'm an old man. You know, I'm 45. <laughs> I always get a giggle out of that one. Right, Rob? A couple of giggles for me. And, and, and so, Rob... Why is it funny that, uh, and not, not that we're mocking a 45-year-old guy who says, I'm an old man, and gee, will I ever find love again? So we're not mocking, but why is it funny for us or for you? Well, I saw a greeting card one time, Sven, and the outside said, remember when we were young and we made fun of old people? What was so damn funny? In other words, now I am an old person and it's not funny or what? Exactly. Okay, got yeah. it. Yeah, well, all right. If you have to explain it, it's not funny. But I, I, I want to understand. I want to understand. Uh, anywho, how? No, you know, I'm 45 and I'm, you know, I'm an old guy. Nobody's going to want me. It's like, you, you don't realize how much life you have left. You have 45, potentially 45 or more years left. Hell, you have 30 years more left. Do you really think life is over at 45? Or I'll get women saying, Sven, I'm a 50-year-old woman. I'm tired. I, you know, I feel like I, you know, I've done this or I've done that or, you know, and, and there is fear and that fear of the future, that fear of not being loved, that's significant. That's legit. But like all the other fears, fear of being on my own, fear of all those voices rising up from the past, fear of figuring it out financially and getting a job, all those fears, you have to address those. You have to go into those because that's what's keeping you. In this case, C. Bella said, I try to leave my alcoholic husband. He makes me feel guilty slash sorry for him. And, I, and I'm fearful of the future. Right, right. Those fears of the future are what's keeping you stuck in this horseshit situation until you put pen to paper, until you dive into what those fears are, name those fears and flush out the fear, flush out the anger, flush out the love, flush out all that shit. You're going to continue to walk um, with trepidation, fearfully, and you may not ever leave and you'll stay stuck in this shithole situation, which is why we go into these feelings, people. We flush these feelings out so that we can walk boldly into life, into a life that we want, okay? But I, I'm betting that your husband making you feel guilty gives you permission to stay because it's safer, not as scary, maybe not safer, but it's not as scary. That future scares you even more than the shit that you're in. And as you guys have heard me say, 2,000,276 billion times, change will not occur until the pain gets bad enough. Change will not occur until the pain gets bad enough. And you may think your pain is bad now. It's not bad enough because you're staying in it. When the pain gets bad enough, and pain comes in so many different forms, it's not just physical, it's sadness, it's financial insecurity, financial um, 
going dry, just bone dry financially. It can be work wise. It can be, there are so many different ways for the pain to get worse and worse and worse. The pain, something is inflicting on emotional pain on your children, whatever it is. Eventually it gets so bad that we reach what I call the fuck it point. Now you may have seen my videos that I've done on this on all the platforms, TikTok and Instagram and Facebook, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You may have seen the ones where I talk about the fuck it point. And I want to explain it now because this is very important. A lot of people think they've hit the fuck it point. People say to me, Sven, I hit the fuck it point, but I still can't decide. You, <laughs> If you still can't decide, if you still are, you know, unsure or, you know, about what you're going to do, you haven't hit the fuck it point. The fuck it point is when the pain gets so fucking big for so fucking long and you don't have anything left. And it's just like, I don't even care anymore. Fuck this. I don't care. And all of a sudden today, on the day of the fuck it point, all of a sudden today, I have the courage to do what just yesterday I didn't have the courage to do. And... Today I have the courage to do what I didn't have the courage to do yesterday. And today I have the clarity of what I know I got to do, of what I know I want to do. I have the clarity that I didn't have yesterday. I have the courage that I didn't have yesterday. And you just, and you reach the point where you say, I don't even care anymore. I don't care about what they're going to say. I don't care if I lose my job. I don't care if that happens. I mean, sure, I care, but you know what? I care more about getting the fuck out of this. And this is why pain is such a beautiful thing. And I know it doesn't feel like it when we're in it. I was suicidally depressed for 12 years. I know what it means to experience deep, long, long pain, okay? I came to mind for what it, different reasons from why you've come to your soul pain, this deep pain, but the beauty of pain is that it teaches us about ourselves if we take the gem that it holds in its hand, right? If we I'll keep flushing that pain out until the pain is out of you, it's still in you. And people say, well, it'll never be out of me. I'll never be, bullshit. I've walked people through every, literally every type of life pain. Yes, including death of a child. Yes, including, uh, you know, accidentally, you know, killing a person in wartime or killing people in wartime, not accidentally, or whatever it is. Whatever it is. I have walked hundreds, if not thousands, people over 30 years through this. And the more you flush out the pain, yes, it does abate. And what you're fundamentally doing is you are decharging the memories, removing the emotional charges, and the soul lightens. We get lighter. You have to go into all your pains, all the bullshit you were taught about yourself and all your fears of the future. The more you go into that, flush, 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 you'll have the courage and it will become effortless because your your pain is also approaching the point. While you're simultaneously getting all the fears and, and those bullshit messages out of you, you are, the pain is simultaneously getting worse. And the pain, in your case, is not only that it's bad, but it just keeps going on and on and there's no change, right? Fuck it. This isn't changing and it's not going to change. And that's a profound type of pain. You're reaching the fucking point and you'll be able to do it, but you got to go in and flush that shit out. I'm going to take one more question and then we're going to call it a day. I'd love to have you along for the ride. I'm driving. Go. And then you're shouting in the back seat, faster, faster, faster. Yeah, we're going for a ride. We got the top down. I got a 63 Impala and here we go, baby. Um, anyway, uh, a few of you are asking about the book. Where can you get the book? The book is There's a Hole in My Love Cup and you can get it at badasscounseling.com. Uh, you can get it other places, but just so you're aware, the audiobook is only available at badasscounseling.com. It's also available in ebook and paperback, but you can get those other places. I recommend going to badasscounseling.com just because it's simple. It's all right there. Also, the do-it-yourself video courses are at badasscounseling.com and the podcast, The Badass Counseling Show, where it's Rob and me and KC and we're playing, just as what we're taping right now. Are you playing right now, Rob? Good times, good times. Happy times, yep. yes, yes, and helping folks out. All right, last question du jour. Uh, bro, 
Oh, that's me. My wife turns everything into a fight and only focuses on herself and always gaslights. I'm going to assume that you have put your needs out there before. I'm going to assume that you have put your wants out there, stated your truth, and she keeps... Um, it's just a fight. She only focuses on herself no matter how many times you do that and it always making you bad. And so if I'm really, really honest with you, I've been in that situation. That was one of my long-term relationships. And I just reached a point where I realized, one of the things I realized is I don't start fights. I started probably 10% of our fights. 90% were started by her, but my fault is I make fights worse. You push me far enough and my tongue will engage. And my tongue is not a happy player when I've been pushed too hard and with malice. And I realized I didn't like who I was being in the relationship. And I didn't want to fight three times a fucking week shouting at each other. And somebody only focusing on themselves and always gaslighting you is not someone you want to be in a relationship with. If you want to be totally honest, totally honest, because I'm guessing she doesn't, you've recommended counseling. She doesn't want to change. She doesn't believe she's a problem. Obviously, that's why she's gaslighting you. So you want to know what the solution is? Honestly, if I'm being totally honest, I would bet 85% you need to get the fuck out of that relationship. And it sucks to hear that. But if a person isn't changing and isn't, and, and don't be surprised if you do say you're leaving and you mean it, that then she's like, oh, all roses and you know rainbows out her butthole and shit like that. And all of a sudden she's the person you wanted her to be. But unless that sticks, you're gonna go back in and then she's gonna change two months from now. She's gonna go back. Because a lot of times people won't change until the pain gets bad enough, right? And then she'll pay, feel the pain of you leaving and wanna keep you. Why? You're her love source. You're pouring love into her love cup. And she gets to be the bully asshole, right? And she may change, but unless the change sticks, it's not gonna last and you're gonna find yourself in the same spot. But more importantly, unless you change and are willing to stop her, draw a hard boundary at every single time that she fucks you over, she has no incentive to change. So the change starts from within, which is so Hallmark card, but it's so true. All right, fine people. This has been the happiest Saturday of my whole week. I thank you for joining us. From those as far away as Malawi and Romania and New Zealand and Wales, it's good to have Wales in the house today, and South Carolina and Georgia and Idaho. Thank you so much for tuning into the Badass Counseling Show on behalf of Rob, my uh, very, very smart person running this show and KC over there in the booth, making sure everything's operating well behind the scenes. I wish you all a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day.